There's a story in John's Gospel, in John chapter 8, that if you look in your Bibles, it'll say this wasn't included in the earliest manuscripts, but it sounds so much like Jesus. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law... Moses commanded us to stone such a woman, so what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Maybe you have felt like this woman caught in the act, whatever that act is. Ashamed, everybody's looking at you, you're broken from your sin, and never wondered if there is a way to get back. Sometimes we feel like we've gone too far. We tend to see the seriousness of other people's sins, but never the seriousness of our own sin. And that was the problem with those who had caught this woman. Now, we don't know what Jesus was writing, but whatever it was, was coming from a place of rightness, righteousness, and holiness. Jesus could have been writing all kinds of things, And sometimes we feel that he's keeping the records on us, that he's writing all the things that we have done wrong and just keeping a list of everything that we did. And so what do you say, Jesus, was the question that they posed to him. What do you say, Jesus, when I've messed up? What do you say, Jesus, to me when I'm living with the consequences of my choices? Jesus, what do you say when relationships I've ruined look like they're beyond repair? In the midst of our accusers, our families, our spouses, our co-workers, even Satan himself. Jesus, what do you say? So we want to get a word from Jesus over the next few weeks as we head into Easter and say, Jesus, what do you say in my brokenness? What do you say in this mess of a life that I am living in? What do you say? Because Easter is about life and it's about death. The beauty of the resurrection only comes after the brokenness of the cross. And the same is true for us. There is a beauty of a resurrection after death and darkness and brokenness and sin and ugliness and shame and guilt and all the stuff of life. So turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We're going to walk through Romans chapter 6 as we lead up to Easter. We're going to just take it piece by piece because we want and we need for Jesus to say, what do you say, Jesus? Well, here's what he says in his word. We're going to look at the first uh, two verses to, uh, today. Uh, Paul says in six, Romans 6 chapter 1, or Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means... How can we who died to sin still live in it? So we know that Paul's talking about death and life and sin, brokenness and ugliness, but there's this beauty that comes as well. And so Paul in verse 1 says, what shall we say then? Well, he was just speaking about some things, so we need to back up a few verses to understand what he was just saying. So in Romans chapter 5, in verse 18, this is where Paul springs to Romans chapter 6. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
the Paul, so Paul is using death and life and sin and life and hope and all of those things. But he says in the middle of this, he says the law was not given to prevent sin. It was, it was too late for that. People had been sinning for the years prior to when Moses got the law. In fact, it was not intended to save anyone from sin. The law was too weak to do that. What did the law do, Paul said? The law said it increases our awareness of sin. It increases the awareness of the powerlessness of us over our sin and the seriousness of sin. And so here's what the law was. The law was like a magnifying glass. Here are the ways that you fail. Here are the ways that you are not conforming to God's will. Here are the ways that you blew it. And it intensifies our hopelessness. Now, that's not very joyful if you think about it. That's what the law does, though. We read God's word and we understand that that we are lawbreakers and, and we don't follow the law. Whatever law we're talking about, even our own personal code ethics. We break it at some point in our lives. And this was the conflict between the woman caught in adultery, her accusers, and the law. Because remember what they said. They said, the law, what do you say? Here's what the law says, but Jesus, what do you say? The law condemned her, and they were saying, Jesus, now what are you going to do? And so Paul says, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Listen, God's always one step ahead of your sin. God's always one step ahead of your brokenness. God's always one step ahead. God is always ready to bestow his gift of grace. The only thing that prevents us from receiving that is our denial that we need it. That we think that somehow we are good enough on our own. That somehow we're going to make the cut. But when confronted with the law, no one makes the cut. We all fall seriously short. And so, by increasing our sense of consciousness of sin, the law increases our sense of our need for God's grace. Now listen, I know in our lives, we look at our lives and we say, I have blown it. I have fallen too far. Look what, this is what God expects. This is how I'm supposed to live, but, but I have not met that at all. Then listen, that's what the law is designed to do. The law is designed to show us how far we fall, but Jesus comes to pick us back up. He doesn't want us to stay there and just be languishing in the ways that we broke our law. And so what happens is God says, I have enough grace to cover your sin. Where where sin increased, grace increased, and those words are there. What? All the more. There is no sin in your life that Jesus didn't die for. There is no sin in your life that you cannot be forgiven of. The Bible uses the term and says, is the Lord's arm too short? Like somehow you're way out here. And God's like, I can't quite reach you. But uh, Paul says, we're grace, we're sin increased, grace increased all the more. And so Paul's like, I know these humans. I know what they're going to be thinking. They're going to be thinking that if I want more grace, because grace is always what? A step ahead of sin. So if sin is here, grace is here. But if sin's up here, where does grace go? It's still ahead. And Paul's like, I, you, I know you, you are clever people. The Lord's dealt with his people through the Old Testament and all the loopholes they were looking for, and he's dealing with us as well. And so we think we're pretty smart. Huh, if, I have, if my sin's here and grace is here, and I want some grace up to here, guess what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to start sinning some more. So that, boy, now I can experience God's grace. But we, we forget what's happening. We have this much more sin. 
And so Paul's like, you're not as smart as you think you are. So we get to chapter six and he asks these questions. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul said, you want more grace, but the way to get more grace is not by sinning more. It's to get Jesus. That's how you get more grace. And so in our cleverness, we think more sin equals more grace. And so here's what Paul says, by no means. In verse 2, some translations say, God forbid. It's the strongest denial that can, in New Testament Greek. Paul says, we've died to sin. How can we live in it anymore? And so the answer is in a nutshell. It's the premise of the entire chapter that we are now under grace and not under law. At some point in our lives, we died to sin. And Paul says, if we continue to live in sin, we don't understand what grace is all about. Skip down to verse 14 in Romans 6. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Grace saves our lives, but it's also a way of life. If Paul didn't get the warning in verse 2, where he says, by no means we would end up being grace abusers. We would just say, well, I'd rather ask forgiveness than permission. And so I'll just do it, and then God will forgive me. And Paul says, you don't understand grace. You're a grace abuser. You're taking advantage of grace. Yeah, the grace will be there to cover that sin. But Paul says, you really don't understand what it is. And if you've ever seen the space shuttle out at the museum. It is a monster of a thing up close and personal. It takes a lot to get this thing off the ground. The last space shuttle flight was July 8, 2011. It was the space shuttle Atlantis that you see the video of. To lift a 4.5 million pound shuttle from the pad, the shuttle uses two solid rocket boosters and three main engines of the shuttle and the external fuel tank, all the stuff that's strapped to it. The solid rocket boosters provide most of the thrusts that are needed to get the space shuttle off the pad into orbit. And once they're ignited, they can't be stopped. And so they're the last thing to be lit. And so the shuttle has those three main engines in the back. And each of those is 14 feet long, seven and a half feet in diameter, and weighs 6,700 pounds. The main engines provide the remainder of the thrust. Now, they burn liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen, which are stored in that big old tank. They draw fuel from this tank at an amazing rate. It's like emptying a family swimming pool every 10 seconds. There goes one pool, another pool, another pool. The external tank holds 526,000 gallons of propellant. So two minutes into flight, the solid rocket boosters ignite and they fly away from the shuttle and break free. And the shuttle then breaks free from Earth's gravity. Now, why do I tell you all that? Well, if we're not careful, we can view grace like the space shuttle launch. Grace is the rocket boosters, and it provides the thrust and the energy that we need to get out on the road, and then the rest is up to us. We are like the shuttle. Once we're in orbit, we don't need grace anymore. The, the space shuttle is not how grace works. It doesn't get us there, and then we just have to maintain it. How do we know? Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. Paul addresses this in Galatians chapter 3. In fact, this false view that some of you, I'm sure, have been taught as you've been growing up. That 
you get saved by grace, and then you're on your own, baby. The rest is you just got to, by sheer grit, you've got to do it. And in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Paul says you are foolish if you think that you got started by the Spirit, those external rocket tanks blasted you into orbit, and now you're trying to perfect the rest of it in the flesh. And we live our lives, and we say grace is great, but grace is a way of life because we're not under law, but we are now under grace. Justification by faith is this lifestyle that we live of trusting in Jesus, an ongoing state that keeps us in that relationship with him. There was a false error that arose at, at this time, and it actually spread through the centuries. And the, false, the error was this, that once you came to Christ, you're baptized into Christ, That only took care of all your past sins up to that moment. But you better be careful from that point on because all those sins will not be forgiven. And so what it caused people to do was they waited until they thought they were actually going to die in order to profess their faith in Christ. Because, you know, it's different if you have 40 more years to live as opposed to four hours. There's a lot less chance to sin in four hours. That is an error in theology. Our, our forgiveness in Christ takes care of past, present, and future sins. We are covered by the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 61.10 says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with the garment of salvation. Isaiah 64.6, he said, all of our righteous deeds, what? Are like a polluted garment. We will fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. And Paul says in Romans 3.28, we, we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And some of us live our lives, we're like, yes, the grace is amazing. It was amazing when I came to Jesus. But man, I have been doing it on my own ever since. I have been just doing by sheer will and by sheer discipline. And Paul would say to us, oh, you foolish Christian. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. Grace is a way of life. We are not under law, but we are under grace. And the error is a failure to understand our justification. We are forgiven past, present, and future. That's what it means to be under grace. So what we need to do is, we need to think in grace. As we walk through Romans chapter 6, my challenge for us today is, is to to start thinking in grace. Because I know some of you are tired. Not because you stayed up too late watching a movie last night. That's your own dumb fault. But what I mean is you are tired of trying to live this Christian life. It's it's exhausting. And it's like, yes, I trusted in grace, but, but I don't really trust in it anymore. Some of you are discouraged. There's those besetting sins and there's those things that happen. And you're doing well for so long and then you fall down. and You're like, whoa, it's all over. I can never be forgiven again. That way of life is tiring and it is frustrating. And Paul says this life is what? It's a marathon. It's not a 5K. 
In fact, it's a marathon for the rest of our lives. And so there's got to be some ability to do this marathon where it doesn't only depend on us. And it's not about my striving. And it's not about all the things that I can do. But it's about grace. It's about living under grace. And what we need is a change in mind. Our our, our thinking. Law and grace are really states of mind when you think about it. Our spiritual and mental approach to life will be either one or the other. So I really just want you to evaluate how you've approached your life up to this point. Have you evaluated your life by law or have you evaluated your life by grace? And here's one thing I'll guarantee. If you have been evaluating your life by law, your joy quotient isn't very high. If you've evaluated your life by law, you're never quite sure. What if the Metro Access van runs me over when I leave church today? Am I going to see Jesus? But if you've been living by grace, trusting in Jesus, you're going to have assurance. You're going to have joy. You're going to, you are not going to want to sin because you know the joy of grace. So there's some questions that we want to ask ourselves today. And the first one is this. What is your estimate of yourself? You see, the law mind has a high opinion of ourselves. It considers ourselves worthy of salvation and not very far from what God requires. The law mind views our sin as superficial or it's just a weakness or it's just a bad habit. The person under the law mind looks at themselves as a good moral person who thinks he deserves heaven because he doesn't swear and because he goes to church and because of the things we do, right? That's a law estimate of ourselves. That was the people who brought the woman committed in adultery. They had a law mind of themselves because what was their first question? Jesus, here's what the law says. Now, what are you going to do about it? They expected Jesus to say, you're right, here's what the law says, and now we're going to follow it to the T. And so the law mind looks at ourselves. Uh, do you ever notice how everybody else is a worse sinner than you are? I mean, it's disgusting. We watch the news, all those sinners are on there. Uh, they all have an R or a D behind their name. I mean, it's like all this craziness. And, but ourselves, well, I'm not so bad. You are living under law. But here's what the grace mind does. The grace minds know we are sinners, that we're unworthy of salvation. It's an awareness of our need for mercy. It knows our weaknesses. And what does it do? It pleads for help. We do good because we're saved, right? Not to be saved. The good things I do are are expressions of my love for Jesus. It's not for him to let me into heaven, The the grace mind looks at ourselves and the grace mind says, I have confidence in God's ability to keep his promise, not in my ability to keep the law. Two totally different things. The grace mind says, Lord, you are faithful to your promise. And you said, if I am in Jesus, if I have my faith in Jesus, that I am forgiven and I am free. But the law mind trusts in self and my ability to keep the law. So what's your estimate of yourself? You see, we are far worse sinners than we think we are, but we are far more loved than we ever dare dream. And so what's your attitude towards yourself? The second question is this. What's your attitude toward God's law? The law mind, the person under law, they hate the law. I hate the Ten Commandments. I I hate those commands in the New Testament. We obey outwardly if we have the law mind because we are afraid of going to hell or i obey because i think that my obedience will somehow earn me a place in heaven 
I would disobey if I could get away with it, says the law mind. It's outward conformity, but it's inward rebellion. It's outward conformity, so people speak well of me and think that I'm a pretty good guy, but inward, oh, I just hate this law. And if nobody was watching, I would, I would not do it. I would break it in a heartbeat. Martin Luther said this, People obey for fear of punishment, not out of love for righteousness. Why do we obey? Do you obey God's law for fear of punishment? Or do you obey God's law for the love of righteousness, to love to be more like Jesus? Here's what the grace mind says. The grace mind's attitude toward God's commandments is this. We love it, and we love the law, and we obey. It's because it's the will of God, and we love God, and we want to do His will. We have an inward desire to obey, even though we fall. There's one that hates punishment, but the grace mind hates sin. The law mind hates the punishment. The grace mind hates the sin. The one says, got to. The, one's, the other says, I get to. I get to obey. I get to do the thing. If you discovered there was no hell, if you discovered that everybody's just going to go to heaven, would you still obey God's commands? Yes or no? That's how we view them. Well, there's no hell, so why bother? That's a law of mind. But the grace mind is, I love the God who gave the command, and I want to obey to love him back. What's your evaluation of your own deeds? Here's what the law of mind says. That deeds are a way of earning or forfeiting salvation. We see them as sin offerings, Right? We work hard to make up for the sins we've committed. Have I done enough? Keeping the Ten Commandments, obeying the Sermon on the Mount, or the Golden Rule, that somehow obeying them makes us good enough to go to heaven. Or by not doing these things, it makes us too bad to go to heaven. Struggle with that in your life? You're like, Lord, I have failed so many times. I have not been obeying. And are you worried in that not obeying that somehow it makes you too bad to go to heaven? That's the law of mind. See, the law is focused on doing the thing. But here's the grace mind. The things that I do, my works and my deeds, are expressions of thanks for the gift of salvation. And I see sin as wounds to the heart of God. I don't obey because of fear of punishment, I obey because I know that sin is an offense to a holy God. And I don't want to break his heart. It's just like our kids. If we can get our kids to understand that when you disobey, you're not breaking the rule, you're breaking our hearts. Makes it look totally different. But the law mind just sees the rule, the grace mind sees the God behind the rule. Salvation is a gift. And all we can say is thank you. We love to be self-made. We love to say, for people to say, man, look what you've done. You come from nowhere, now you're somewhere. You went from zero to hero. You've done all these things. And we just love that. The grace mind says, I didn't deserve anything. And everything I do is just a thank you to Jesus. Am I trusting Jesus? What's your approach to salvation? Salvation, the law of mine, trust our own ability to keep the Ten Commandments. Trust my own ability to keep the Sermon on the Mount. Trust my own ability to keep the Golden Rule. So what happens when I break it? Well, then I'm out. Then I'm in. Then I'm out. Then I'm in. But here, the grace mind trusts God to keep his promises. See, here's the difference between the law of mind and the grace mind. 
It's do versus done. It's achieve versus believe. It's merit versus mercy. It's attainment versus atonement. One pleads what we have done. The law of mine says, Lord, look what all I've done. Now you owe me. Or we can say, Lord, look what I've done. Now you don't love me anymore. It goes both ways. You see, the law mind pleads what we have done, but the grace mind pleads what Christ has done. Our plea is in what Jesus has done for us as our substitute. One rests on our righteousness, the other rests on his righteousness. Where would you rather rest? Your righteousness or the righteousness of Jesus? What's your view of God himself? The law mind says this, God is an accountant who enjoys keeping record books on us. Whoa, look what you, I can't believe you did that today. That needs to go in the record book. Uh, I can't believe you did that too, and that, and that, and that. Keep going, I, got, I have more pages. Or, oh, here's some good things, I, I'll put those in as well. But you sure you better hope, right, that it's all going to balance out at the end. See, the law mind views God as a an accountant or as a boss. You put the time in, you're going to get the pay. He's going to give us to what we deserve. But here's what the grace mind does with God. The grace mind views God this way: that God is able to cook the books. He's able to move a little from here over to your account. Where's he moving it from? He's moving it from Jesus' account. To your account. Your account then is marked paid in full. It's not a record of debits and credits, and it's not a matter of the credits keeping ahead of the debits. It's not like you trying to juggle your checkbook, right? And you're hoping that the check doesn't clear in two days before the deposit gets in there, or the bank's going to call, or the check's going to bounce. Like, that's not it. Then we view our salvation that way. Like, oh man, I got to put some good stuff in the account before the bad stuff hits. And when the bad stuff hits, I got to make some more good stuff. But God cooks the books. God says paid in full. He's not the accountant who's looking down over his half-rimmed glasses, just watching you, keeping the record. But the law mind views God that way. Now, let me ask you a question. Which God would you rather love and serve and worship? The accountant that's looking at for everything you've done? Or the God of grace who says, in Christ, it, that's the qualifier, in Christ, you, your account is paid in full. You see how, the, how, you see how it looks differently now when we think law and we think grace? We start by grace, but we also need to live by grace. It's one of the reasons we have no joy. It's one of the reasons we think we can never be forgiven again. It's one of the reasons we think God gets us started, but the rest is up to me. But Paul says, no, you are not under law, but you're under grace. It's a new way to look at life. Now, I can already hear people objecting. Yeah, 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 but, 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 but. Don't tell people they're under grace too much. Because if they learn they're under grace too much, they're going to want to sin some more. Paul says in Romans 6, chapter 2, Stop it! 
You don't understand grace if that's what you're thinking. You need to have a change in thinking. So we are liberally going to talk about grace. We are liberally going to talk about the cross. And when I change my thinking from law to grace, I'm not going to want to sin. I'm going to want to obey out of my love for Jesus. So you can't ever think about grace too much. You can't ever tell people about grace too much. In our hearts, we all want to be forgiven. In our hearts, we just want somebody to come and say, you know, all the stuff you did has been taken care of in Jesus. You don't have to wait until you die. And the world's view is you get to the pearly gates and there's Peter with the keys That's the world. The gospel says that when you are in Christ, the gates are wide open. You have free access to the Father through Jesus. We cannot think about grace too much because we're not under law, but we're under grace. When I understand grace, it should humble me. It's not anything that I've done. It's certainly not who I am, but it's everything that Jesus has done. And I say, Lord, my life is a thank offering. My life is a, is a love offering to you. Let's pick back up at the story. You know the story. The woman caught in adultery. They brought her to Jesus in John chapter 8 in verse 7. And as they continue to ask him, remember Jesus is writing on the ground. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. You see, the grace mind understands our own sinfulness. The law mind understands the sinfulness of others. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Don't know what he was writing. We do know he was literate, though. Jesus could read and write. And so here he is writing. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Why do you think the older ones left first? Because they had the most sins. They had more time to sin. They also had more wisdom. They, all, they knew what he was talking about. They, there's a lot of reasons why they left first. But Jesus was left alone with the woman. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Remember, she was brought before Jesus because of the law. They said to her, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman... What do you say? What does Jesus say? We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And here's what Jesus says to her, because everybody's wondering what Jesus is going to say. And here's what he says. Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. That is one of the most beautiful verses in Scripture. That's what Jesus says to us. If you've come today wanting to hear something from Jesus, here's what he says to you. I don't condemn you, but don't go sinning anymore. It's not one or the other. It's both of those working together. It's the beautiful thing that comes from our brokenness. We are under grace, and yet it's sin no more. It's both of those working together. That's what Jesus says to us. It's no condemnation, but I'm not telling you what you've done is okay. No, you've, you've sinned and you've broken God's law. You've offended his heart. Now I want you to go and sin no more. Why? Because of this gracious act that you have just experienced with me. The only person in the crowd that could have stoned the woman was Jesus. He was the only one who was without sin. 
He was setting them up the way he masterfully does. And yet, he doesn't. And he doesn't say what she was doing was okay, but he was saying, because of this grace that you have just received, I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember these solid rocket boosters that have gotten you off the ground and into orbit. I want you to remember this and what? And go and sin no more. Now, we don't know what Jesus was writing, but we do know where he was writing. What does the scripture say? He was writing on the ground. What's significance about the ground? It's easily erased. You ever go to the beach, write something on the sand, and take your foot and erase it? Or you're walking by and somebody else wrote something on the sand and you erase their thing because you think it's funny? We've all done it. Kick over their sandcastle, erase their engagement and all that stuff. What's the deal about the ground? A, 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 A breeze or a foot or a goat comes walking by? And it's all gone. That's what happens to us, right? All the stuff that's recorded. Jesus is the editor-in-chief. He erases all the stuff when we are in him. He is the one that goes back and he edits it. And he comes out because it's out of our brokenness that we see the beauty of God's forgiveness. We will not try to be abusers of grace, but we will live under grace. You see, between the woman and the Pharisees stand Jesus. Between the law and us stands who? Jesus. The law condemns, but Jesus forgives. The law says, here's how you've fallen short, but Jesus says, go and sin no more. The law says, you, uh, you, there's no way you can do it on your own, but Jesus says, under grace, I will give you the power and the strength to do it. There's two enemies of the gospel. One is legalism. That somehow we can put God into our debt by our goodness. And I think many well-intentioned believers through the years have been put into this place that somehow we are just a little better than everybody else. And somehow we look down upon everybody else. And somehow our sin doesn't stink. Somehow if I just do the right thing, God is indebted to me. Listen, God will never be indebted to you. Never. He is the Lord of the universe. He is indebted to no one. And we know, and and, and all the while we're saying this, we're trying to do the thing that God has put into our debt. If we're honest, somehow we know inside that we're still not good enough. We still keep trying. And we still keep failing. And we still, we lose our joy and we lose our assurance, and we enter into this spiritual depression of sorts, where we just know that even through my trying, I just know it's never good enough. You maybe have had a parent, you could just never please. It just was never good enough. You bring home a B, why wasn't it an A? You bring home an A, why wasn't it an A plus? You bring home an A plus, well, did you do the extra credit? And we look at God that way, and we say, Lord, what I can do is never enough. And God says, yeah, that's pretty much it. But there's one who did it. His name is Jesus. And if you allow him to cook the books and credit your account, you can live under grace and then you will be good enough. You are loved. You see, the, the, the one side is legalism. The other side is antinomianism. Antinomianism means without any law. That's what Paul was addressing here. Why, bo- why bother to not sin because grace will increase no more? So antinomianism means that we can re- relate to God without following his commandments. 
we know this doesn't work either. We say, well, Lord, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. It's all by grace, all for grace. I'm under grace, so I can do whatever I want. And at the end of the day, we know we can't do whatever we want. There's spiritual consequences. There's, there's relational consequences. But we know that doesn't work either. And so both of those, legalism and uh, libertinism, uh, license, both of those are enemies of the gospel. But think about it. At this very place where sin increased, which was what Paul talked about in Romans chapter 5, in Israel, God caused grace to increase all the more. Think about a place among the very people where the law caused the trespass of Adam to explode like an atomic bomb. The law came in. Up to the law, everybody thinks, oh, I'm pretty good. Then the law is like, man, I'm not so good after all. Did sin increase? Well, we were still sinning. We just didn't know it was sin. And at that very place, at this very spot on the earth, the grace of God had exploded like a more powerful hydrogen bomb. Sin exploded, God exploded. So the grace of God exploded in the person and the work of Jesus, the Messiah. That was the reason for Israel's existence in the first place. So right here is this woman, and she's on uh, the ground, and Jesus is writing on the ground. And in that very place, it was Jesus who came with a more powerful solution to sin, and that was grace. Do you ever doubt your forgiveness? I mean, do you ever doubt that you're, that you're forgiven? Do you still feel like you're in the center of your accusers, never able to be free? I'll tell you who most people's number one accuser is, themselves. Satan does a good job, but if he can get you to start accusing yourself, he can move on to somebody else, because you're doing his work for him. And so sometimes we feel that we can never be free, we can never get beyond the accusation because we're living under a law mind. You say, well, I can't believe I can be forgiven. That's why it's called good news. <laughs> That's why it's great news. Even when we say, Lord, I can't believe I'm free. You are. Well, I don't feel like I'm free. You are. I am free in Jesus. It's in this broken state that Jesus comes in and says, you are forgiven, now go and sin no more. You see, living under grace means this. We are God-centered and not self-centered. All of our life revolves around God. The law mind, what does the law mind do? The law mind turns the spotlight on ourselves. And we say, look how wonderful I am. Or, look how terrible I am. Look, look at all the great things I'm doing for God. He's now in my debt. Or, I've fallen so far, I can never be restored. You see how this law of mind works? It goes back and forth and back and forth. But, under grace, we are God-centered. It's about his faithfulness to his promises. It's about Jesus' righteousness, paying for my unrighteousness, that I am free. How can it be? Well, it can be because of him. He took my place on the cross. The law mind is focused on me, but the grace mind is focused on God. I obey the law if I'm under the law mind because it's all about me and I just love people telling me about what a good person I am and like I never get upset and I always do this and I always do that and pretty, you know, the old head starts Grace mind, God, wants our hearts, though. 
It's where I say, Lord, I am miserable, unworthy sinner. I'm on the ground with my accusers. You know what Jesus does? He takes care of the accusers. Do you know Jesus has taken care of your accusers? He's taken care of the accuser, Satan. At the cross, Colossians says, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and Satan is now a defeated enemy. We can live in victory. So Jesus takes care of the accusers. But what does Jesus also do? He lifts down in the dirt, and what does he do? He picks us up, and he says, Go and sin no more. You've been shown grace. We always hear kids say, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Listen, when we stand before God, we do not want to ask for fairness. We do not want to say, Lord, please treat me according to how my sins deserve. That would be justice. We do not want justice on the last day. We want grace where the Bible says we are not treated as our sins deserve because Jesus took the penalty for us. So let me ask you as we close, where's your mind? Are you thinking with a grace mind or are you thinking with a law mind? You know what the law mind will do? It'll keep us down, discouraged, feeling like we never measure up or oh, we're never good enough. But the grace mind says, you were all of those things, but in Christ you are no longer those things. You are free to go. We just need to have a shift in our thinking. Would you live under grace? Would you live not under law, but under grace? That's the good news of the gospel. Would you please stand? And we're going to pray. Father, we thank you that you provided the way Jesus. And God, we are all too well aware of our sinfulness and our brokenness. And God, if some of us were honest, we don't think that we're so sinful and we're not so broken, which is another problem altogether. But the gospel, Father, you've given us to come and push back against both of those ideas. That out of this brokenness, in Jesus, something beautiful can happen. And it's the word that we hear from him. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And Father, how we need those words today. So Father, over these next few moments, may we just have this single-minded devotion to you to live under grace. Change our thinking to live under grace. That we can know the assurance of your forgiveness. That we, could, that we could know that we are accepted, not because of our goodness, but because of Jesus. Father, we as your people who know Jesus should be the most joy-filled, grace-filled people on the planet. Father, forgive us when we started by the Spirit, but we've just been churning and trying to live and do it all by our strength. And Father, we're honest, we are just weary because we've been living under law. So, Father, help us to live under grace. Over these next few moments, may we just recommit to you. Say, Father, just, we're just going to give you our, uh, us. We thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.